Welcome to Mammal Talk, the companion podcast for the Blood Bowl Mid-Atlantic Mauling League. In this episode, we're talking about the Spike Magazine Trophy Week 4! Welcome to episode 13. It's week four in the Spike Magazine Trophy. This is a little more than halfway in the season now, and so many teams are still in this competition that this is an exciting week to talk about. This will be an exciting week four, and it's bound to be an exciting week five. So without further ado, why don't we just get into this week's games? Game one of the week would pit Pity the Ghoul against Play It by Nuffle. Pity the Ghoul, a necro team coached by Dead Fred. Play It by Nuffle, a goblin team coached by Clypheus. Clypheus, the winner of the first competition this season. He won the Chaos Cup. Pity the Ghoul in fifth place. Play It by Nuffle in third place going into this week. Play It by Nuffle being a goblin team, they tend to be lower on TV. In fact, they want to be lower on TV, and indeed that was the case here. Play It by Nuffle would pick up three bribes, a wizard, and two star players going into this matchup. They picked up a loony and a bombardier. Play It by Nuffle would be on offense to start the first half. On the kickoff, each team would get an extra bribe due to the Get the Ref kickoff event. Pity the Ghoul would set up with a wide defensive line to avoid that fanatic on the Goblin team. The Fanatic has a ball and chain. He'll pick a cardinal direction. He'll just swing it around for three spaces and he will knock down whoever's in his path. He has a massive strength of seven as well. It is usually a good tactic to simply avoid him. And thankfully for Pity the Ghoul, that Fanatic would just spin downfield and hit no one. Play it by Nuffle would then move the ball to his own four yard line. On Pity the Ghoul's turn, they get a one-die block on that Fnatic and somehow KO'd that player. It was unbelievable. Remember, that Fnatic is a secret weapon as well, and so, as such, would probably be out for the rest of the game. Pity the Ghoul has two werewolves on his roster. They are the most important players on a Necro team. He got a blitz with the werewolf to get a surf and smashed the knee of a goblin. A great start to this game for Dead Fred and Pity the Ghoul. On turn two, Play It by Nuffle would start the turn with a two-die block by the troll against a zombie, would kill the zombie, and the zombie would get no regeneration. Pity the Ghoul would respond with the good presence of mind to take a block on the loony when he had the chance. Remember, the loony has a chainsaw. If you take a block on the loony, you get a three plus on your armor roll. The loony gets the same. He doesn't have to take the block roll, of course, but it's always good to take a block on a loony if you can. He got a stun out of it and then ended up ending the turn pressuring the goblin cage. On turn three, play it by Nuffle. Failed the really stupid roll with each troll. That was a two plus and failed each one, tried to dodge out with one of the trolls, failed, it was a five plus dodge, probably was hoping to leverage his break tackle skill on that troll, but remember the troll is a loner, so in order to leverage break tackle, you've gotta get through the loner roll first. He decided not to do it, didn't want to tempt fate, and that would be the end of his turn. 
As a result, Pity the Ghoul would knock out the ball carrier, which was the Goblin Pogoer, and recover the ball with a Werewolf. On turn four, Play It By Nuffle would blitz with the Looney, but the Chainsaw would kick back. He'd have to spend the TRR to keep that Chainsaw from hitting himself in the face. Ended up stunning a high dollar Ghoul. He would then take a foul on the Ghoul. It wouldn't work out. Tried to take two marks on the ball carrier. The second one needed a GFI. He failed the GFI. Got injured for his trouble. Not looking good here for uh, for Play It By Nuffle. Probably didn't pray enough before the game started. Pity the Ghoul would end this drive by setting up a three-die block on the remaining mark. Caused an injury. Then he scored 1-0. to zero. Pity the Ghoul would take the lead early in this game. Play It By Nuffle would get a second chance on offense. But first, they'd have to spend the bribe to keep the loony on the pitch. But the bribe failed. The ref wanted more money. He had to spend a second bribe. It was 11 v 11 on the pitch, but the pogoer was still off the pitch for this drive. Turn five would begin for play it by Nuffle. They'd fail a block with the loony. Then they get a two-die double skulls block, have to spend the reroll, had no TRRs left for the half. The Bombardier would toss a bomb, but the bomb would get intercepted. It would get thrown successfully back to the Bombardier. The Bombardier would catch the bomb, but then fail the second pass. He would knock himself down and stun his neighboring Looney. He still had a second star player Looney. He had Nabla on his roster, so at least he still has a second chainsaw player on the pitch. Pity the Ghoul would open a hole inside the line, would send both werewolves and a ghoul careening toward the ball, would end the turn by KOing Nabla. On turn six, Play It By Nuffle would roll double skulls and would lose their turn that would allow Pity the Ghoul to score on turn six. They would increase their lead two to zero. Third drive of the first quarter. This is Play It By Nuffle's third attempt to try to score. They're down two players. Two-man player advantage for Pity the Ghoul. 11v9 on the pitch. On turn seven, the Looney would fail to break armor. Jessica Fletcher, the Ghoul, would be killed on a foul that reduced the player advantage just down to one man. A one-player advantage for Pity the Ghoul. Pity the Ghoul would react by playing it safe on turn seven. Then on turn eight, a foul would end the half. There'd be a stun and would get called off. Pity the Ghoul would end the turn with their own KO. That would be the end of the first half. Two to zero in Pity the Ghoul's favor. In the second half of the game, play it by Nuffle would have to spend their final bribe to keep the loony on the pitch. There would be a two-man player advantage for Pity the Ghoul. Pity the Ghoul would be on offense. And of course, they had a lead by two. It would be an uneventful turn nine, but on turn 10, Pity the Ghoul would cage up at their own four-yard line. Play it by Nuffle would fireball the cage. They didn't get much out of it, unfortunately for them. They'd knock down a single werewolf. The Pogoer would foul a ghoul and get a KO out of it. That was a great foul. And then on turn 10, it was just standard Blood Bowl. Standard Blood Bowl for both coaches. Pity the Ghoul would be able to pull it out and score. They would increase their lead 3-0. to zero. Fifth drive of the game. The Loonies finally called off the pitch. Three-man player advantage for Pity the Ghoul. Play it by Nuffle would roll double skulls with a troll. They'd spend the TRR on the loner roll. They had to keep this drive alive, but they failed the loner roll, lost their turn. 
Peter the Ghoul would respond by sending both werewolves toward the ball. On turn 13, play it by Nuffle would pick up the ball with the Pogoer. They had to spend their last TRR to do so. They would hand off to the Goblin and run down a hole that was open in the line earlier in the turn. However, he had no real protection for the ball carrier. He was just trying to get on the board. On turn 14, Pity the Ghoul would capitalize by blitzing with the werewolf. He had to double GFI to get the blitz. That meant he wouldn't get the frenzy follow-up with the werewolf. He rolled two pushes. He had great awareness of this fact that he rolled two GFIs. He wouldn't get the second block, so he wouldn't be able to surf the ball carrier. He spent his reroll to try to get the knockdown. He didn't get it, and play it by Nuffle would be able to score, and the game would now be 3-1 to one in Pity the Ghoul's favor. On the final drive of the game, Pity the Ghoul tried to score one last time. They set up a half cage on Play It by Nuffle's 14-yard line with the werewolf as the ball carrier. Play It by Nuffle, however, would leap with the pogoer to take a three-die uphill block. All he needed was a push to surf. He got it. Play It by Nuffle would recover, but they wouldn't be able to score. Pity the Ghoul would win this one 3-1. to one. Game two of the week would see Pips Pippi fan club facing off against a minor matter. These are Lizards versus Underworld, El Nubarino versus Artificial Bunny, PPFC in fifth place, a minor matter in eighth place. Both teams looking for a win uh, to keep their hopes alive here in the Spike Magazine trophy. A minor matter would be the underdog they'd get. The petty cash in the inducement phase, they pick up two star players, a Bombardier and Glart, which is a strength force Skaven with Claw. Pip's Pippi Fan Club would get a blitz on the kickoff event. After the shallow kick, the ball would end up scattering into the hands of a Goblin halfback. And then on turn one, a minor matter would cage up on the four-yard line in the left wide zone. He took a block with Glart. Remember, Glart is the strength force Skaven with Claw. He also is a loner, however. He is a star player. A minor matter would end up making great use of Glart all game long, recognizing his value. PPFC would respond by breaking this cage, injuring the front left corner player. He would mark the front right corner player and then mark the back left corner. All three of those were Saurus's taking the mark. On turn two, a minor matter would reset the ball carrier back to center pitch, decided to protect the ball carrier by going base to base with other players. This was pretty good awareness by Artificial Bunny here. He didn't want to get holed up and locked down in that left wide zone. He decided to reset back to center pitch and used marks to keep his ball carrier safe. I thought that was pretty smart and pretty good tactics. PPFC would respond to this by getting a KO to start their half of the turn. Not much else happened for turn two for PPFC. On turn three, a minor matter was looking for a way to advance without exposing the ball carrier. He ended up moving the ball carrier to their own four-yard line again between protection on both sides, but both sides were also marked. The ball carrier was a goblin, and he did this to avoid any future animosity rolls. Again, really good tactics here. He's looking for a way to get through this really strong lizard team while he's still relatively low TV with his underworld team. I think this is good play. PPFC would respond by spending a team reroll on a two-die blitz to knock down the ball carrier. He tried to GFI another Sars to the ball, but the GFI failed. On turn four, a minor matter would toss a bomb 
It's a five-plus toss. Very risky. Failed the pass. Spent the team reroll. The pass worked out the second time, and he ended up knocking down the Crocs and a skink. He would then try to dodge away one of his two throwers. He failed the dodge, got injured on that failed dodge, spent his apothecary. The thrower would go back to the reserve box, thankfully. PPFC would lose their turn four with a failed plus five Saurus dodge. Then on turn five, a minor matter would KO a skink with a bomb. He's making really good use of this bombardier. Bombardier fairly risky. Remember, it's a pass to throw that bomb. So he's got to roll a pass. He's got to roll for interception. Then he's got to roll for a, a potential catch, um, but working out for him here. So he ended up knock, or KOing that skink with the bomb, knocked down another Saurus, and then it got, got a couple of players onto the ball. PPFC would take the blocks he was given. That's what you got to do as a lizard coach. He would clear the minor matter players away from the ball. He would end the turn on a foul that caused a stun, but in turn he got called off for the uh, for the foul. That would be 9v9 on the pitch and only two skinks left for PPFC this half. Speaking of that bombardier, on turn six, an inaccurate bomb pass would still work out for a minor matter. It would just go to the other side of his intended targets. It would knock down two Saurus's and injure one of them. This would allow him to recover the ball and move to the line of scrimmage. PPFC would start their turn six with a blitz. They'd fail the GFI, spend their team reroll, fail the GFI again. Snake Eyes got knocked out. Ugh. <laughs> this would allow a minor matter on turn seven to have their ball carrier take off down pitch to the PPFC 14 yard line. He would KO a third skink with the troll. There's just one skink left for PPFC. PPFC would try a two die uphill blitz with a skink against that ball carrier would only get a push. He'd follow up trying to stop this score on turn eight. Neither team would have rerolls. A minor matter would take a two-die blitz with the ball carrier. It would work out. A minor matter would take the lead one to zero. The second half would begin with a two-man player advantage for a minor matter. 11 v 9 on the pitch. And this is not a small thing for a minor matter. Remember, they're a relatively low TV underworld team. That is when underworld is at its weakest. And they're going up against a mid-TV lizardman team. Really great job by Artificial Bunny leveraging his team to his advantage here. Did Had a really impeccable first turn. He recognized uh, not to get, not to pull himself out of position when he moved his cage in the left wide zone and the defense collapsed on him. He said, I'm going to back off. I'm going to reset. I'm not going to commit to really wacky odds. Uh, I'm, I'm going to use good tactics. Maybe I can't set up a cage, but I can certainly exert tackle zones. Uh, just really, really smart play by Artificial Bunny. And he's up against El Nuberino, who knows how to play this lizard team. He, he takes the blocks that he's given. He's using the strength of those Saurus's. So to come out of this ahead in the first half is a really, a really good start for Artificial Bunny here. Final drive of the first half would be a two-man player advantage for a minor matter. It's 11v9 on the pitch. He had to use his bribe to keep the Bombardier in play. However, a minor matter would commit an error and didn't remove the Bombardier from the pitch. There's only one turn left in the first half. 
keeping the Bombardier on the pitch means he's going to get called off at the end of this drive, which is going to be the beginning of the second half. The Bombardier did, in fact, get called off after PPFC's turn eight. On PPFC's turn eight, they recognized they wouldn't be able to score. They got a pass with a skink to get them to level three. This is something you always want to do as a coach. You want to take advantage of opportunities to get SPP on certain players. And El Nuverino does this and did it well here. He took that final turn and took advantage of it. The second half of the game would begin with a one-man player advantage now for a minor matter. PPFC would be on offense. Turn nine would start this second half off. PPFC would knock out a goblin. 10v10 now on the pitch. He'd move the ball to the line of scrimmage. He has three skinks on the pitch. He started the game with four. A minor matter would start his turn nine with a blitz with Glart. This is a risky blitz because Glart is a star player. He's a loner. He'd end up getting a push. And on turn 10, PPFC would take the blocks as lizards do and end up blocking with the crocs to free up the ball carrier. Gets a double both down result, spends the TRR, and fails the loner roll. He doesn't knock down the opponent due to the opponent's block skill, and the croc got stunned. A minor matter would block the ball carrier to a push, he would blitz then to knock down. The ball would scatter into the hands of a neighboring Saris. Unfortunately, the catch only worked on a six. A minor matter would counter by taking a two-die blitz on the ball carrier that resulted in a push. He would block a skink on the other side of the pitch. That would result in the skink being injured. He's hunting those skinks. A minor matter would return to having a one-man player advantage and just three skinks left for a PPFC. I'm sorry, two skinks left for PPFC. On turn 12, a two-die block on the protecting goblin would injure said goblin. It would be just 9v9 on the pitch. PPFC would take a whole bunch of blocks, but otherwise only got pushes with them. A minor matter would take a two-die block on the ball carrier. He'd get a both standing result on the block. He would then blitz with the thrower, get double skulls, spends a reroll, gets the pow. The ball would scatter towards a PPFC player, or rather towards a contingent of PPFC players. A minor matter would move the blitzer toward the ball and then pick up with the thrower and hand off to the previous blitzer to try to help secure the ball. This was a really fun play to watch, really clever to see how he made this happen, but really didn't have a lot of protection on the ball carrier. As such, on turn 13, despite a minor matter's efforts, PPFC would take a two-die blitz on the ball carrier, they'd get the knockdown, the ball would scatter out of the hands of the adjacent thrower, and end up in the middle of a scrum between the two players. He would dodge a skink then to pick up the ball. A minor matter would take a three-die block against a downfield skink, he'd get a push again, he's hunting those skinks, that's what you have to do against a lizard team. He'd take another three-die block, and this time against the ball carrier, he'd only get a dodge push. He'd take a final block on the ball carrier, this time a two-die block, and yet another dodge push. The ball carrier, of course, has safety as uh, safety, has sidestep as well, and he would sidestep to safety. PPFC would take the blocks he was given. That's again, that's that's the name of the game for lizard teams. El Nubrino knows it. He would open a hole for the ball carrier to move laterally. He had a positive dodge to take. It worked out. He handed off to a skink on the other side of the pitch and sprinted right down the wide zone to a minor matters 12-yard line. He would send a second, a second skink as insurance, and this was an excellent turn for PPFC. He, he saw the opportunity 
to open up a hole and to just run those really fast skinks down pitch, and he took it. A minor matter would take a double GFI blitz on the ball carrier. He'd get a knockdown. He'd stun the ball carrier as well on the sideline, but the ball would not scatter out of bounds. It would scatter toward that second skink, that insurance skink. That's why El Nuverino sent the skink down pitch. On turn 15, PPFC would spend their final team reroll on the ball pickup to score. It would be a 1-1 tie. On the final drive of the game, it would be 9v9 on the pitch. Neither team with TRRs remaining. A riot on the kickoff would eat up a turn that would leave a minor matter with just one turn, which is not enough to score. This game would end in a 1-1 draw. Game three of the week would be Take the Wood, Take the Bad. That's a Wood Elf team coached by Avian 2 against Tracksuit Mafia, Chaos team coached by Merrick. Both teams, the final two remaining undefeated teams in this competition, Tracksuit Mafia in first place with a record of 3-0-0, Take the Wood, Take the Bad in third place with a record of 2-1-0. Tracksuit Mafia would be down on TV going into this game. They would pick up Lude Grip, a star player. He picked him up due to his sure hand skill. He didn't have any players with sure hands, so he wanted to pick up Lude Grip to keep those cage-busting, ball-stripping war dancers out of his hair. Lude Grip also has strong arm pass and tentacles. And Take the Wood, Take the Bad would win the coin toss. They would elect to be on defense, as you do as elves. They'd set up as a standard two-deep defense with a three-man line. Tracksuit Mafia would respond with a five-man offensive line. On turn one, Tracksuit Mafia would take a two-die block on the center. He'd get double skulls. He'd have to spend a team reroll. He'd move the cage down to his own four-yard line. Take the Wood, Take the Bad would use a standard elf defense. They'd take a blitz. They'd run away. They'd leave one lineman marked and one stunned after a failed dodge. On turn two, Tracksuit Mafia would blitz the AG5 Elf. Take the Wood, Take the Bad has three key players on their team. They have the two Wardancers and they have an AG5 Elf. Everybody else is alignment. He'd get a good blitz. He would split off two Elves from the formation in the left wide zone and would move the cage to the Take the Wood two-yard line. Take the Wood, Take the Bad would counter with a two-die blitz against a Chaos Warrior, resulting in a push and would continue moving the Blitzer to lend an assist on the next block. This is what you have to do as more fragile teams. Uh, if you have high movement and low AV like Wood Elves do, you want to get your blocks by moving your Blitzer. So you can get the Blitz with your Blitzer, use the rest of your movement to move that Blitzer in for an assist and get another block. The other block would succeed. He would get the two cutoff players back into formation, but would fail to dodge with one of the players ending the turn. He would end the turn with one lineman marked on the right side. On turn three, Tracksuit Mafia would get a push on their one block for the turn. They'd then take a two-die blitz against a war dancer and get a push. They would cut off a lineman on the right side of the cage. They would try to dodge their downed beastman on the left sideline. It was a five-plus dodge. It failed, and the beastman got knocked out. It would be a one-man player advantage for Take the Wood, Take the Bad. Take the Wood, Take the Bad would do a good job of resetting their two-deep defense before rolling dice. Another Wardancer blitz would lead to a knockdown, but nothing more, and yet another dodge would fail. Take the Wood, Take the Bad was trying to apply pressure to the right side of the cage, 
didn't spend the TRR, I think that was a good call. Of course I would. It was my team. <laughs> on turn four, there would be no blocks for Tracksuit Mafia to take. They'd take a blitz on a lineman. They would foul the cutoff lineman on that right side with three assists. They'd get the KO. This was a good foul call by Merrick. It'd be 10v10 on the pitch, but really good picking off that lineman in the previous turn and going for that foul with three assists. Take the wood, take the bad, would then fail a dodge on Snake Eyes. They spent the TRR. They wanted to keep that drive alive. Failed it. One player would be left marked on their defense, and their defense would now start to have gaps in it. On turn five, Tracksuit Mafia would advance the cage to the 16-yard line and take four marks on the middle war dancer. Take the wood, take the bad, would take a blitz on the front left corner of the cage, would chain push that ball carrier out of the cage and to the right, but then take the wood, take the bad, would make a critical error, setting up for a second blitz. Spent the rest of the time, you get two minutes on your turn, would spend the rest of that two minutes setting up for a second blitz, but you can't do that. One blitz a turn is all you get. The blitz was already spent. That would end up leaving four of their players marked, including both war dancers and that AG5 lineman. On turn six, Tracksuit Mafia would move the cage to the 20-yard line in the left wide zone and then take his blocks. You got to take the blocks when they're given to you. Would KO the AG5 lineman, would knock down two more elves, and would take a both down trade on the last hit but didn't get the armor break. Very good tactic here by Merrick. He had the armor advantage. He said, you know what? It's the end of my turn. I'll take the both down. Maybe it'll work in my favor. It didn't this time, but I think that was a smart play. Take the wood, take the bad. Would take a war dancer blitz on the front right corner of the cage, gets the pal to mark the ball carrier, but then would have to leap out the second war dancer due to that error on the previous turn, leaving him marked. Leaps are not safe. They're a three plus. The leap would fail, spend the TRR, that would fail again, and that war dancer would get injured. The apothecary would not be spent. Take the wood, take the bad, would be down one of their two war dancers for the rest of the game. On turn seven, a two-die blitz injured the second war dancer. This time, the apothecary was spent, and that kept the war dancer in the game. On turn eight, Tracksuit Mafia would take another block, another elf injury, then would score. It would be 1-0 in Tracksuit Mafia's favor at the half. Take the wood, take the bad, would spend their final turn eight, passing for some SPP. Tracksuit Mafia would start the second half with a two-man player advantage. Take the Wood, Take the Bad would be on offense. Tracksuit Mafia would set up with a wide three-man Chaos Warrior line. Take the Wood would take advantage of this to set up a block to uh, block down two of those players. On turn nine, Take the Wood, Take the Bad would indeed block down two of those linemen that would open up a hole, and he would send a War Dancer and a lineman downfield to receive. Take the Wood would cage up on their own 10-yard line. Tracksuit Mafia would then mark that receiving team with four players. I think that's a bit much, <laughs> personally. He'd take a two-die blitz on the War Dancer. He'd get a push after a team reroll. Taking marks on a receiver is meant to either knock down the receiver or prevent the receiver from catching or moving toward the end zone. But remember, the War Dancer has block, has dodge, has leap, uh, they're really tough to take down. I think four players that you're pulling off the line, that you're pulling off the cage to defend against the Warden Dancer is, is a lot. That's a lot of players to dedicate to just one player. On turn 10, Take the Wood would move the ball 
to a half cage at their own two-yard line on the left side of the pitch, and they would block free the war dancer that was down pitch. Take the wood, take the bat at this point, realizes that they have to stall. They can't give Tracksuit Mafia too many turns to try to score, and so they're shifting laterally uh, to try to keep this cage alive as, as long as possible without losing players. Tracksuit Mafia would send six players to the front and right sides of the cage. He would take a two-die blitz against the War Dancer. It would be a push. He would stun that downfield lineman who's now off the War Dancer. So that receiving contingent is not two players anymore. It's just that one War Dancer. On turn 11, Take the Wood would reset their cage back at center pitch. Again, trying to stall for time. They could have stalled longer, in fact, if on the kickoff, if they did what's called the DACA. If... If they, they would set up on on their offense like normal, they would receive, receive the ball and then just pull everybody back to their own end zone, forcing Tracksuit Mafia to spend a turn or two coming to them, and then they could open up their passing game like normal. Really hard to keep them from scoring, and that would have given them two more turns to delay. Take the Wood would end turn 11 with a positive dodge for the War Dancer right around the three marks that he had on him. Tracksuit Mafia would counter this by realizing he was overcommitting players. He would try to set up a screen against the cage. I think this was a good call. He'd take a two-die blitz on the War Dancer, would finally get the pal, and would get a stun on that War Dancer. On turn 12, take the wood, take the bad, would move the ball carrier right back to that left sideline with a half cage and would end the turn with a failed TRR dodge. Really wanted to close up that cage. Didn't matter too much. Had to spend the team reroll. Tracksuit Mafia on their turn 12 would take a two-die block. They'd get double skulls with no team rerolls left for the game. They would lose a turn. On turn 13, Take the Wood would decide to call it at that point and pull the trigger on scoring. They dodged the War Dancer out into the end zone with a GFI. A long pass with a team reroll would be a 75% pass and an 83% catch that worked out. One to one, the game would be tied with one quarter left to play. Final drive of the game, two-man player advantage for Tracksuit Mafia. Take the wood, take the bad, would have just one war dancer. Remember, the other one was injured. Tracksuit Mafia has no re-rolls. Take the wood was banking on this fact to hope it would go in their favor. On Tracksuit Mafia's turn 13, they'd stun one player at the line. They'd injure another and push the third. They'd end up caging up on their own eight-yard line. And then on turn 14, Take the Wood would take a blitz on the cage, only gets a push, and then pulled their defense a little thin into a diagonal position. They went aggressive on that cage, but that stretched that defense a little thin. It was a little too diagonal. Tracksuit Mafia would end up caging up on Take the Wood, Take the Bad's four-yard line. On turn 15, Take the Wood would reset their two deep defense. They, they got pushed a little, or stretched a little thin. They realized what was going on. They used their high speed to reset their defense back into that traditional two deep defense, except failed to dodge on the right side and got KO'd. This would be a four-man player advantage for Tracksuit Mafia, and they would capitalize on that weak right side. They'd blitz the remaining linemen and get a stun. Final turn of the game, turn 16, take the wood, take the bad, would take an uphill block instead of dodging. It was a really tough call because three beastmen ended up in scoring position on that weak right side, and take the wood only had seven players left on the pitch with one stunned. 
They can't cover too deep across with that few players. What they decided to do was set up a defense with four columns. Three of them are single player. One's too deep. They had to leave their fate in the hands of Nuffle because Tracksuit Mafia had no re-rolls. But Tracksuit Mafia, on their turn, they take a two-die blitz. They get the pal. They'd be able to walk the ball into the end zone and win this game. Two to one. Tracksuit Mafia remains undefeated going into the final week of Swiss. The final game of the week would be Nick Satan's Reptile Dysfunction Lizards versus Malik's Tainted Cocktails. Chaos. Both teams with one win under their belt. They need a second win here in week four. Tainted Cocktails would be down on TV. They'd pick up two Bloodweiser babes and a wizard. Not sure about those babes, but he was he was worried about the Beastman being taken off the pitch. Uh, the wizard's always a good call. He had a journeyman on his roster. Tainted Cocktails would start this game on offense. They'd set up with a four-man offensive line offset from the three Saris defensive line. I think that's fair as well. But a reptile dysfunction would get a blitz on their kickoff event. They'd open a hole on the right side of the line, but they didn't run through it. He decided it's better to keep his formation intact, showing a little bit of reserve. On turn one, Tainted Cocktails would cage up on their own eight-yard line. They'd spend a team reroll to pick up the ball. That would bring them down to two. A reptile dysfunction also has two coming into this game. They would leave only one block for a reptile dysfunction to take. I think that's good tactics by Malik recognizing that you don't want to give up excess blocks to a lizard team with all that strength, especially a reptile dysfunction that has two lizards with a strength of five, and of course the crocs. A reptile dysfunction would respond to this by taking marks and shifting their defense. They took no blocks, again, showing a lot of reserve here by Nick Satan. On turn two, Tainted Cocktails would overcommit their cage to their own two-yard line on the left wide zone. They would just run as far as possible but now they're stuck in their left wide zone. There's nowhere to go over there. A reptile dysfunction would knock out a chaos warrior on the right side of the pitch. They'd bring in the sneaky geek skink to start fouling a beast man in the right wide zone. Uh, this is a good tactic by Nick Satan. You don't your your skinks who might be sneaky gets. You don't want to just throw them out there to get blocked down. You want to throw them out there to take a foul when they're safe. And this is about as safe as it gets. It's all the way across the pitch on the other side of the field. On turn three, Tainted Cocktails decided that he was just going to try to power through the defense in the left wide zone. He left the entire right side of his cage marked. A reptile dysfunction would respond by knocking out the back right corner of the cage. He'd have a two-man player advantage at that point. Then he'd knock out the front right corner. He'd blitz the ball carrier. He'd get a push. He'd take a second attempt at that foul over in the right wide zone. He didn't get anything out of it. But now he's dedicating the second skink to the foul. That skink will lend an assist on the foul, but that skink is also safe. And that means he can bring another Saurus in to the ball. On turn four, Tainted Cocktails gets a KO against a Saurus in front of the cage with a one-die block, risky block. Then dodge to a blitz before saving the ball carrier. So he took a dodge to a blitz before finding a way to save the ball carrier. It was a 50-50 dodge. He had to spend the reroll on the dodge. Then he got a both down result on the blitz, unfortunately. A reptile dysfunction would try to capitalize. They don't get a push against the ball carrier on a block. They blitz a nearby beast man, get a stun, and then mark the ball carrier. They take another block to set up a surf in the left wide zone. 
Three Saruses at this point are marking the ball carrier. There are no positive dodges for the ball carrier to take. He'd end the turn with a third foul attempt over in the right wide zone and would get nothing out of it. But this is what you do. This is what you do with a sneaky kit. You set up that foul and you just foul for days. On turn five, this turn would start for Tainted Cocktails with a blitz. He'd get a push on one of the three Saruses marking the ball carrier. He would follow up. But by doing that, he now puts that blitzer in danger. He should have moved the free beastman over in the white in the right wide zone first. That beastman was freed up on the turn previous due to a failed boneheaded roll by the Crocs. He would try to dodge the ball carrier away to safety. It was a four plus fail, or four plus dodge that he failed on. He had no TRRs remaining. Reptile Dysfunction would take all the blocks they were given, as lizards do. He'd get two sarses on the ball. He would move two skinks into position for next turn, still working on that foul to no avail. On turn six, Tainted Cocktails would start the turn with a two die on the fouled player in the right wide zone. The block doesn't work out. Uh, I think he should have worked on getting tackle zones between the skinks on the ball or taking out a block or taking a block on a Saurus that was near the ball instead of taking that block over in the right wide zone that really didn't have anything to do with the ball. A Reptile Dysfunction would attempt to pick up. They'd fail to pick up, but that's all right. They've got a couple of turns left. On turn seven, Tainted Cocktails would knock out a skink over in the right, right wide zone. You know what? At this point, I think this was fine. You might as well go after the skinks while you can. He would move a Chaos Warrior and a Beastman over to play some defense in the left wide zone, but he couldn't quite cover that sideline. A Reptile Dysfunction would respond by blitzing the Beastman. He'd pick up the ball with the Skink. The Skink would move to the 20-yard line. He'd move a second Skink to put a tackle zone between the ball carrier and the down Beastman. And then he'd have a line of four Sauruses protecting behind the ball carrier. On turn eight, Tainted Cocktails would spend their fireball to knock down both skinks. I don't know if this was worth it. He did knock down both skinks, but it was a very Hail Mary play because not only are you risking a fireball on two skinks, but that's not even the end of your play. You've, you've got more things to do here. Um, he would stun the ball carrier. The ball would scatter to the sideline. But then he had to dodge out that Beastman to pick up the ball, which wouldn't be safe. He succeeded on the dodge, um, but he, he didn't want the, the Beastman to pick up the ball. He wanted to scatter it out of bounds. Succeeded on the dodge, failed on the pickup like he wanted to, but then he had to hope that the ball scattered out of bounds, which it did. And somehow this Hail Mary play worked out. The ball would get thrown back in on the same yard line, but it's center pitch. And it's one space too far for the remaining skink to pick up and run to score. Man, sometimes Nuffle provides, man. <laughs> Reptile Dysfunction does have a chance to score, but they make the solid strategic choice to take blocks first and get a surf before trying to score. That all works out. Then they pick up the ball with the Saurus. It's a five plus pickup. The pickup works out. The Saurus has 7 MA. It leveled up, picked an extra point of MA. That's just enough to score with two GFIs. He does it. A Reptile Dysfunction would take the lead at the half, 1-0. to zero. 
start of the second half, Reptile Dysfunction would be on offense. They're in the lead. They're on offense. All they have to do is not give up the ball. They have a one-man player advantage. They're up against a three-man defensive line from Tainted Cocktails. They go with a five-man offset line. Strong on the right. It would be a touchback on the kickoff, and the weather would change to sweltering heat. Sweltering heat doesn't come into play on that drive, but every subsequent drive that the weather stays sweltering heat, everybody has to roll for heat stroke. And if they have heat stroke, they come off the pitch. On turn nine, Reptile Dysfunction would cage up on their own four-yard line. They block down the line. They get a KO for a two-man player advantage. Then they get a KO on a foul three-man player advantage after their first turn of the half. Tainted Cocktails would then move two beastmen down the left wide zone to threaten the rear of the cage. But this is risky, uh, super risky. I, I would say maybe even um, erroneous. Like, he doesn't have the speed to keep up with that cage. He can't really threaten it if the cage is going to move to the right. The only way this works is if you can keep that cage from moving forward or to the right at all. This puts these two players in danger of being left behind, and he's already three players down. He then took a blitz on the right sideline and followed up to leave that blitzer marked. You don't want to give up these blocks against lizards. On turn 10, a reptile dysfunction set up for a surf on the right sideline with a block and a blitz. That blitz also opened up a hole down the right wide zone. The ball would move to Tainted Cocktail's 12-yard line. He would foul a downed beastman on the right sideline for another KO. That's a four-man player advantage. And then he would send one Saris to mark those two backfield beastmen. They would now be out of the drive, and this means Tainted Cocktails is effectively down six players at this point. Tainted Cocktails would respond by trying a double dodge to save a beastman from a surf and blitzes with it. He failed the second dodge, spent the team reroll, got the two-die blitz on the ball carrier. Uh, and you know what? As risky as that sounds, I think that was the right call no matter what went down. He needed to do his best at this point in this game to force a reptile dysfunction to score. He wants to force a reptile dysfunction to score and then put his hopes into the sweltering heat heat stroke. However, he ended up getting the power on the blitz. He did a risky pushback to the sideline. The ball could have scattered out of bounds. It didn't. It stayed on the sideline. He tried to dodge another player, but failed that dodge. That would be the end of his turn. On turn 11, a reptile dysfunction would set up another, another surf with a blitz on that beastman from last turn. He would take three more blocks that were handed to him. The Crocs would injure a Beastman with a gouged eye. He would now have a five-man player advantage, again, with those two players tagged out. That's effectively seven players that he has an advantage with. He would end the turn with a pickup to score. He would take increase his lead, rather, two to zero. A reptile dysfunction, at this point, it was very obvious that they were looking for a large TD differential but it's kind of risky in the sweltering heat. He was really rolling the dice here. Uh, he was banking on his high injury count to be in his favor. On the next drive, each team would lose two players to heat stroke. That is not good enough for Tainted Cocktails. It would be 9v7 on the pitch, a two-man player advantage for a Reptile Dysfunction. A Reptile Dysfunction would get another blitz on the kickoff result. They would waste the blitz with the Crocs, who failed their boneheaded roll. It would be a shallow kick. He'd move the Saurus under the ball. Probably didn't want to risk a skink here. I think that was fine. He would move two skinks behind the Saurus into position. 
And then on Tainted Cocktails turn 11, they would start with a blitz on that Saurus next to the ball. They would then immediately try to pick up the ball with the Blitzer. This was super risky. It was a three-plus pickup, failed to pick up, spent the team reroll, failed again. He has just one TRR left for the game, and the ball would scatter free to the right sideline. This is dangerous for Tainted Cocktails. On turn 12, a Reptile Dysfunction would mark the threatened Chaos Warrior and the Beastman near the ball with the Saurus. He would then take his blocks. Then he went for the pickup, he failed, and this is why action order is important. If the pickup failed, a Reptile Dysfunction still got in all of the less risky stuff that they needed to do first. Really good play, really solid fundamentals by Nick Satan. Tainted Cocktails would blitz the skink that would be the would-be ball carrier. He'd get a push, and then he would follow up. But this follow-up would put that Beastman in harm's way with a two-die block coming back from a marking Saurus. He would then go for the pickup with another Beastman behind him. It was a three-plus pickup that failed. But not only that, that pickup attempt meant that he put that other beast man in a in a position to be surfed there was nowhere on the pitch for that beast man to go and he would end up getting surfed on turn 13 a reptile dysfunction would take it and have a two-man player advantage Tainted cocktails would then take a two-die blitz against a skink it was probably the best decision at this point but it didn't really help to retrieve the ball left with limited options he tried to dodge another Beastman in danger of a surf. He failed the five-plus dodge. On turn 14, the Crocs would take a two-die blitz to kill a Beastman. The Apothecary would save him, and then a Reptile Dysfunction would take the remaining blocks and fouls that he had. There was no threat by Tainted Cocktails against the ball at this point. He would end the turn with a score. Three to zero would be the score now. Final drive of the game. Tainted Cocktails would have one player off the pitch with heat stroke, none for a reptile dysfunction. Two-man player advantage for a reptile dysfunction. On Tainted Cocktails turn 14, there would be yet another shallow kick by a reptile dysfunction. A reptile dysfunction does not have a kicker. I have to imagine after all these shallow kicks, it was on purpose trying to score again. He spent, or Tainted Cocktails spent his final team reroll to get SPP on a Chaos Warrior. I think this was fair at this point in the game. Good pass for one SPP. Uh, it left the ball carrier without adequate protection, though. And that meant on turn 15, a reptile dysfunction would just descend on the ball. I don't know, six players <laughs> just come descending on the ball. He marked the ball carrier with a Saurus. The entire team picked off and based all of Tainted Cocktails. Tainted Cocktails would... Try a marked pass to a marked catch. It would be a plus four pass to a plus six catch. The pass worked. The catch didn't. On turn 16, a reptile dysfunction just needed one GFI to score. They did it. They would win this game four to zero. And this would help catapult a reptile dysfunction to the top of the leaderboard. And that does it for week number four just one week left in swiss rounds here in the spike magazine trophy all but two teams are still in it that's a whole lot of teams that have been able to stay competitive through the entirety of swiss play it's been very exciting i'm very excited to see what happens in week five what the matchups will be in week five 
Oh, man, it's bound to be a super fun week. Just one week left of Swiss before there's cut to top four. Every team is looking to make the cut here. If they win, they'll or if they make the cut, they'll be in the top four. And then it's just one more game away before they get an invitation to the Blood Bowl. Even if they don't make the cut, they're looking for that SPP. There's still one more open competition before the Blood Bowl this season. Oh, man, it's it's going to be a blast. I, I hope you guys will join me here for week number five. That'll do it for this episode. You can watch the Mid-Atlantic Mauling League on Twitch at twitch.tv slash aviunit02. That's E-V-A-U-N-I-T, the letter O, the number 2. And watch archived games on YouTube at Blood Bowl M-A-M-L. You can also follow us on Twitter at Blood Bowl underscore Mammal or on Facebook at Blood Bowl Mammal. Play Blood Bowl. You can play Blood Bowl online via Blood Bowl 2 or in tabletop form via your friendly local game store. Be kind to each other. Forgive everyone, praise Nuffle, and may he bless your dice.